What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 273 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Facebook and on X or Twitter, whatever you call it. I still, for the record, I'm going to call it Twitter, so you can follow both of the social pages there. Um, Great to be back with you folks. Uh, had a nice uh, long weekend up in Maine, uh, but we're back. We'll have Guest Friday this week, as you may have noticed on our uh, social channels, doing a mailbag this week, so all things Patriots. So any Patriot questions you have uh, for you know this week's game against the Eagles, any other game this season, or any question about the season and about the local football team, you just let me know. We'll answer it uh, on the air on Friday. I've already gotten a couple questions. So please keep them coming. There is no such thing as too many questions. So looking forward to that later this week. We'll obviously have a very Patriots-heavy episode this week as uh, week one is has begun. Uh, first week of the NFL season kicking off this week. Lions and the Chiefs getting things started on Thursday night. That's the NFL opener, so Chiefs will celebrate their uh, Super Bowl championship, take on the Detroit Lions. Uh, We'll get to all the other NFL games uh, later in today's podcast, but we are going to focus on the Patriots. We will uh, take an in-depth look at their matchup with the Eagles, take a look at their uh, roster initially, and then the practice squad as well to get you updated on all that stuff. So yeah, you know, it's finally here, you know, a season that I think we've been talking about for months, you know, a lot of it has been, okay, you know, even as far back as, you know, early off season, you know, when the Patriots were were looking at offensive coordinators, a lot of it has been, a lot of it this off season has been positivity about the new coordinator they've brought in, you know, the, the, the work ethic and the effort from Mac Jones and, you know, the good vibes and good feelings from a lot of the guys on the team both offense and defense, but I think now it's like, okay, the games are here. You know, I think enough talk, whether positive or negative, the games are here. We will finally be able to see, you know, what this team looks like. Now, the Patriots historically are not a team that hit their stride in the first month of the season. You know, typically it takes them a couple games to kind of figure things out. So, look, the Patriots are not going to have everything figured out by the first game, you know, even if they somehow are able to win, which for the record, I don't think is as crazy as people think. I think, you know, it's just going to be great to see, okay, here are games that matter. Here are games that count. You know, I think the preseason is interesting. I think for me personally, it's become more interesting over the last couple of years because I think I've paid closer attention to the individual guys, but it's like, there is nothing like regular season NFL football. So it's exciting, you know, and I think it's exciting to see this team that I think there are a lot of people, I think even around here that, you know, are kind of underrating this group, which it's not that surprising. You know, I don't blame them exactly. This is a team that won eight games last year, a team that won 10 games the year before, you know, didn't win a playoff game. So it's not like, you know, people are, looking at this team and saying, okay, you should win 12 games. 
you know, but I think there's a lot of, there's been a lot of conversation around here over the last couple of weeks and even the last couple of months about, you know, various concerns, which they're not unwarranted. You know, I think that when you think about this team's offensive line and the kind of lack of health that they've had throughout camp, yeah, sure, it is a little bit concerning. You know, I think with thinking about the availability of certain guys, i.e. Jack Jones, you know, what his availability is going to be, you know, I think every team is going to have concerns going into the season. There is not a, there is not any football team that you can look at and say, okay, there's not going to be any weaknesses on this team. Even for a team like the Chiefs, even for a team like the Eagles, even for a team that appears to have everything figured out on paper, every team has a question mark. Every team has, you know, a concern. So the Patriots are not unique in this issue. They're not unique in having, you know, concerns going into the season. There's 17 games. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. So, you know, I, for one, am excited because I think we'll finally get to see this team really try to attempt to put it together offensively. You know, hopefully there's better communication, better execution, and you can kind of see the progress being made from last season. You know, I think it was difficult because you didn't get a lot of look into it in the preseason, you know, save for a couple minutes in that Green Bay game. But, you know, now it's going to be, okay, how do you do with a game plan? You know, how do you game plan against this very good, very deep Philadelphia team? You know, so I think that's what's going to be interesting. You know, how do they game plan uh, going into this game? So before we get into specifics about the game Sunday afternoon, um, I did think it made sense to go through uh, the roster and take a look at, you know, how things look right now. So obviously, I think the biggest thing was quarterback. Patriots initially, and I cannot stress this word enough, initially the Patriots had only Mac Jones on their active roster for their quarterbacks. You know, I think there were too many people, I think, making the, like, dead, the roster cut down thing a little bit, we're kind of making it a little bit too dramatic, you know, being like, okay, this is, you know, what they have going into the season. And it's like, that's not true. You know, the roster cutdown date was last week, 10, 12 days before the season opener. Very rarely is that going to be a team's, you know, roster on game day, the first week, first game of the season. So I felt it was a little bit unnecessary that, you know, people were making these dramatic statements about what their 53-man roster looks like. And it's like, Look, the roster deadline was a deadline, but that doesn't mean that the 53-man roster you submit to the NFL at 4 o'clock on that Tuesday is like, okay, this is what your roster is the entire season. Things happen. Guys get released. Guys get cut. Guys get hurt. Guys get traded. You know, things like that. So, you know, I think it's just kind of a typical, you know, Boston sports media thing where have to act like the sky is falling or else there's you know, no content you can put out there. But anyway, you know, Mac Jones on the roster, Patriots releasing Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham. Initially, both of them got through to the practice squad. So, you know, I think quarterback was interesting. Um, Patriots releasing both of those guys. And I think, me personally, I wasn't surprised. 
you know, Trace McSorley, I guess you could include in that as well. But I don't think anyone in the preseason really did enough to tell you, okay, we are comfortable with this person being the backup quarterback. I think that went for McSorley, it went for Zappi, and it went for Cunningham. I think for different reasons. You know, I think for Zappi and McSorley, they didn't play well at all in the preseason. You know, I don't really think that there's very much that they did positively. Um, and I think for Cunningham, just didn't get enough reps at quarterback. And I think with the Patriots trying to work with him to figure out the best way to utilize his skill set, you know, it's hard to envision going into the season with an undrafted rookie as your backup quarterback if there's an injury and he has to play. So, you know, I think that kind of was a bit of an issue for the Patriots just in the sense that no one really stood out and said, okay, this person's, we are confident enough in them to be the backup quarterback. So Patriots went out and claimed Matt Corral from the Carolina Panthers practice squad. Um, he was a fourth round pick last year, did not play the entire season, had a foot injury that ironically suffered against the Patriots in the preseason last year. So he's being brought in, presumably to be the backup quarterback, was initially put on the 53-man roster. So it appears that he will be the backup to start the season, although I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if Sappy gets elevated a couple times during the season, you know, we'll see. But, you know, Corral is a guy that uh, had a very good college career, you know, at Ole Miss, and I think may fit may fit Bill O'Brien's offensive system a little bit better um, than Bailey Zappi because I think he didn't really pick it up very well this offseason. So, you know, that's kind of the thing with the quarterback, with the running back, Stevenson and Elliott. Patriots choosing, I think, to carry two running backs and two tight ends, I think just because of the kind of uncertainty on the offensive line. You know, I think with Cole Strange and Riley Reef both probably being questionable for Sunday's game, it kind of made sense that the Patriots carried two extra linemen, you know, carrying 11 instead of nine. So I think that that's the reasoning why the Patriots only are having two running backs and two tight ends on the roster right now. Um, because I just think there's not quite enough room to carry a third tight end. There's not quite enough room to carry, you know, a third string running back. I think that that will change. You know, I think once Strange and Reef get healthy or the Patriots figure out whatever they're going to do on the roster with them, you know, then there might be movement for, you know, blocking tight end or another running back. Uh, Patriots did put Kevin Harris and Ty Montgomery on the practice squad. And then as far as tight ends, I think released... Or no, Matt Sokol, still on the practice squad. Um, and the Patriots also brought in Farrah Brown um, from the Colts practice squad. Or I think was with the Colts um, in preseason, so it was released last week. So he plays played a couple years with Oakland, Cleveland, Houston, and then the Colts. Or well, actually, I don't think played for the Colts, um, but was on their team uh, in training camp. So... He will be joining uh, Patriots out of Oregon. So Brown and Sokol, the two tight ends on the practice squad. So I think, you know, again, the kind of untimely injuries 
to the offensive line, I think will lead to the Patriots maybe not carrying as many of those guys at tight end and running back as you would expect. But wide receivers, no surprises here. That Patriots carrying are carrying or five at the moment um, with Tyquan Thornton being placed on IR. So, and Patriots didn't cut Thornton. He still is on the team, but will be on um, injured reserve. But Demario Douglas, Kayshawn Booty, um, and Bourne Parker and Smith Schuster all making it. So no surprises there. You know, offensive line, not really any surprises to me. You know, Patriots bringing on a couple of their rookies, uh, Calvin Anderson as well, who we didn't really see much in training camp, but he will be um, on the active roster. And then as far as the defense, you know, I don't think terribly too many surprises here. Um, you know, I think for the defensive line, Wise, Godshaw, Lawrence Guy, Christian Barmore, Daniel Iquale, kind of guys that, that, that you would expect here. Uh, Trey Flowers, I think, will start the season on the PUP list. Patriots obviously picked him up in the offseason, you know, linebackers, Judon, Bentley, Tavai, and Uche. You got Anthony Jennings, Mac Wilson, Marte Mapu on board, um, and Chris Board as well. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, kind of more of a special teams guy, Chris Board. And then the defensive backs, kind of what you would expect here with the corners and the safeties. Um, Amir Speed, I think, was one of the surprises someone who made the roster as a cornerback so he will be with the team obviously gonzalez jonathan jones hoping that jones will be healthy to start the season jibriel peppers kyle uh, kyle duggar adrian phillips Jalen mills um, and then special teams Berenger and ryland making the roster so ryland uh, beating out nick folk for the starting job at kicker so that was kind of an interesting interesting decision. You know, I kind of thought that the Patriots would go that route as well, just I think with the kicking strength, you know, I think the accuracy with Chatter Island, it's going to be what it's going to be. But I think with this team, you know, I think just needing more leg with their kicker um, in terms of kicking the ball out of the end zone. Bryce Berenger, I think, was awesome in training camp, no reason. Uh, for him not to make the team. So I'm really excited to see what he can do because I think I know that punting and special teams play is not the sexiest thing in the world, but I think having a quality punter that can pin teams deep in their own territory, I think is really huge. And I think is going to play a really big role on this team this year. So I think that that will help the special teams um, returning Marcus Jones we hope can handle both of those things. Uh, maybe he runs back a return or two. I would not be surprised if he is in play for an all-pro this year. That might surprise some people, but I think if he can take a couple kicks to the house, um, there is a very good chance that he could be um, earning some all-pro votes, might even make the team. So I think just to kind of go through the practice squad, the guys that I didn't mention, here are some others. Uh, Josh Bledsoe, safety. James Ferentz, offensive line. Joe Giles-Harris, linebacker. Calvin Munson, Ronnie Perkins, also linebackers. Uh, Cody Russi, Andrew Stuber, some more offensive linemen, uh, and Corliss Waitman, the punter. Um, so that was the initial practice squad, and then the Patriots 
made a series of transactions the next day, um, including claiming Matt Corral. Uh, the Patriots then signed wide receivers TJ Luther and Jalen Rager. You may remember him. He was a first-round pick of the Eagles in 2020, so he's on the practice squad. And Thyra Pitts, the Patriots released. So I think maybe there's a possibility you see Rager on the practice squad at one point. I think specifically if Tyquan Thornton is going to be on injured reserve, maybe you want to carry a sixth receiver. Um, so I think, yeah, getting back to this Patriots-Eagles matchup, which, you know, is not going to be easy. You know, this is uh, not the most ideal uh, opening week matchup, um, I think, for a team like the Patriots that don't always catch their stride um, at the, in the beginning part of the season. Um, so, you know, I think looking at this, I think looking at this from the perspective of where these teams were last year, you know, it tells you that, okay, this is not going to be close. But then again, you know, we should not base our predictions on uh, teams' performances from last year. That's just me. So I think looking at this game, obviously the Eagles have a very deep team, you know, can hurt you in a variety of different ways. You know, Jalen Hurts obviously brings a very unique challenge of being equally as dominant throwing the ball as he is running the ball. You know, he's a very smart player, very rarely will make mistakes, you know, put balls in areas that are dangerous. So I think the biggest thing for the Patriots is being aware of where he is on the field at all times, you know, not letting him out of their sight. You know, I think doing a good job of containing him so he doesn't, you know, break contain and, you know, run wild. Um, I think generally, if it's not Lamar Jackson, the Patriots have done a pretty good job with their running quarterbacks. I think it's just you want to limit the amount of times that Jalen Hurts is, you know, out in the open field or having time to throw. So I think the biggest thing for the Patriots is getting pressure. You know, it's a hard ask because Philadelphia's offensive line is one of the best, if not the best in the league. So I think, you know, Judon, Uche, Christian Barmore, you look for those guys in particular to, if the Patriots are going to be successful, the three of them have to have really good games. The Patriots, if they're going to win this game, have to control the line of scrimmage. And I think, you know, if there's what area, what, what part of the line of scrimmage or I should say, what side of the ball do the Patriots have the best chance at kind of winning that trench battle? And I would say it's probably the Patriots' defensive line versus the Eagles' offensive line. I think just because we're not quite sure about the health of the Patriots' offensive line, and you look at some of the players the Eagles can roll out, I think for the Patriots to be successful, they have to focus their defensive efforts on slowing down the Eagles. Um, And I think... Red zone play is going to be huge. You know, I think getting to the quarterback is going to be important. You know, I think it'll be very interesting to see who matches up with who. You know, where does Christian Gonzalez play? Did the Patriots plan to give him a lot of help over the top? 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they play some zone in this game. Um, just because I don't know if they necessarily have a great matchup guy um, against A.J. Brown, who's big and physical. So, you know, I think the Patriots give Christian Gonzalez a lot of help here. Um, but I think I feel better about the Patriots defensively um, than I maybe do against them offensively. I think just because you're not sure about the protection. Um, I think the Eagles have a very good front seven. It's probably best in the league. Did lose a couple guys um, in the offseason, TJ Edwards, uh, Javon Hargraves, just to name a couple. But I think with the Eagles front, it's imperative that you get the ball out quickly. You know, do a lot of screens, do a lot of RPOs, quick throwing. You know, not plays that are going to be long developing. You know, plays where you're going to have Mac Jones in the pocket for five seconds. You want to keep, keep him upright, keep the quick you know, keep up the quick completions. And I think it'll be interesting to see how aggressive the Eagles play in this game defensively, because I think if the Eagles are too over-aggressive and over-pursue, the Patriots can take advantage of that by running some play action, RPOs and things like that to, you know, take advantage of an aggressive Eagles defense. Um, you know, if the Eagles are a little bit more patient, you know, then I think that becomes... Not an issue, but I think it may be kind of problematic for the Patriots' offense. Um, but I think, yeah, it's 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 good protection, quick completions, get the ball out to your guys in space. Whether it's Stevenson, Elliott, you know, Smith, Schuster, Kendrick Bourne, you know, those guys in particular, I think, are going to be important for this type of game. I don't know about Devonte Parker. You know, because I think he's a guy that you kind of throw the ball up to and he makes big plays down the field. I don't know how much time you're going to be able to have to throw in this game. So it may be that he doesn't really get involved. But I think Bourne and Smith-Schuster are going to have big roles in this game. And I think the backs as well, Stevenson and Elliott. Um, but I think, look, I think this is a game that's not going to be easy. You know, it's probably the most difficult opening game the Patriots have had in quite a while. Uh, but I think that they they maintain competitiveness in this game. I think with Brady coming back, it being the home opener, Patriots are going to be, you know, jacked up and ready to go. You can bet the Eagles are going to be jacked up and ready to go because I think them knowing how close they were last year is going to pump them up. You know, but... I'll just say this. Week one is crazy. There are a lot of things that happen in week one that are not always indicative of what happens the rest of the season. You know, I think that teams can come into game, come into the first game and things can go haywire for any sort of reason. So that's why I don't think it would be crazy if the Patriots won this game. Do I think they're going to win? No, I think they make it close. You know, I think it's like 28 to 20, 27 to 21, something like that, you know, where it's a one possession game. But I think the Patriots are going to play well in this game and are going to, even if they lose, make people believe in this team that, okay, this is not last year's team. This is a more cohesive offensive unit 
And this is a team that could be able to surprise some people. Do they surprise some people week one? I don't think so, but you never know. You know, I also think this is going to be a a source of motivation for Mac Jones. You know, seeing his old teammate Jalen Hurts with the Eagles um, and kind of wanting to prove that he's the better quarterback. So, you know, not saying Mac Jones is the better quarterback, but I think he'll go into this game wanting to play with that kind of chip on his shoulder. So I'm excited for this game. It should be good, but I don't think the Patriots win, but I think they'll make it interesting. So I think that's going to do it. Well, obviously, plenty more Patriots this week. So uh, keep thinking of your Patriot questions. Send them to me by Friday at 10 a.m. I'll answer them. So looking forward to that. So we're going to move on. Talk a bit about your Boston Red Sox, who are uh, pretty much out of it. You know, I think in terms of the playoff chase, Red Sox took two out of three from the Kansas City Royals this weekend. Seven to three yesterday, Chris Sale, five shutout innings. Yoshida and Adam Duvall went deep, seven to three the final. So, you know, I think as we talked last week, it is going to be a difficult rest of the season because the Red Sox are probably not going anywhere. This is a team uh, five games over 500, five and a half back in the wild card chase with 25 games to go. So no, I don't think that this is going to be a team that's playing postseason baseball. You know, I think losing two out of three to the Dodgers, getting swept by the Astros, kind of told you that, okay, this is a team that's kind of just going to be packing it in for the season. And it stinks, but... I think you look at kind of the all the things that have gone wrong for them, you know, whether it's lack of depth in the pitching staff, um, you know, just flat out stupid baseball, you know, base running mistakes, defensive mistakes, and just fundamental errors that you wouldn't expect from a professional baseball team. So, you know, I think good on them to win two out of three after getting, you know, embarrassed by the Astros and then losing that first game uh, to the Royals. But, you know, I think for this team, the rest of the season, it's paying attention to individual guys. It's no longer about what this team can do. You know, I think that they, I guess, tried their best. I'm not trying to say that in like, oh, well, they tried their best. Obviously, I'm not saying it like that, but I think you look at the the makeup of this team, they probably did about as well as you could expect. Be a team that is, okay, somewhat in, in it into August and September. But I think just depth-wise, there's not deep enough to be a team that's really going to be able to compete with, you know, the Tampa Bays and the Baltimores and the top teams in the American League. They just weren't going to be a team like that. Now, is it team construction? Probably. You know, and I think there's going to need to be a lot of conversation about how this team gets made up or how this team gets constructed for next season because I think there are a lot of things that went wrong for this team. And I think, you know, they have to find ways to fix some of these issues 
and whether that's working with the guys in the roster to be smarter players defensively and on the base paths, you know, does it mean bringing in more talent? Specifically with the starting pitching, you know, and I think that those are like serious things the Red Sox need to prioritize this offseason so that they can be, you know, a competitive team next season. You know, I think it's it's tough because, you know, this team definitely had potential, um, but they kept just bringing you down, as I think, after, you know, showing you at times, okay, they can be, you know, a good competitive team, but then dragging you down, playing dumb baseball. So, you know, I think in these last 25 games, as we talked about last week, it's kind of how do certain guys play into the offseason? You know, I think they're important guys like Casas um, and Bayo in particular, you know, guys that you're expecting are going to be a big part of your team's success next year. You know, I think Casas has been really, really good for most of the season. You know, this is a guy that was hitting 133 after the first month and has 22 home runs. You know, very good chance that he finishes the season with 25 home runs, you know, which I think is huge for a guy like that in his first major league season, you know, hitting 265, which isn't a great average, but if you consider that he was hitting, again, 130 in the first month, you know, 265 is really, is good. You know, that's where you want him to be. So I think it's for guys like that, you know, it's too bad that Jaron Duran uh, had to have surgery on his toe, so we won't see him the rest of the season, but I think he showed you in a pretty good sample size, 102 games, that he might be able to handle everyday duty in the outfield, uh, whether that's center field, right field, whatever it is, you know, so that's a positive, you know, I think Casas performing the way he is is a positive, you know, Trevor Story getting into some games, you know, is 85 at bats, hopefully he has more before the end of the season, you know, getting him into kind of a little bit of a rhythm, just so he can get games under him and then he can be ready to go when training camp, uh, uh, spring training starts um, in February. So it's things like that. You know, I think looking at someone like Willier Abreu, how much more does he play? You know, I think Rafaela as well has played five games. He looks to be pretty good. Um, I think just based on the little bit that we've seen him play. Um, but I think it's kind of just looking at some of your young guys and your future guys, you know, what are they going to look like? You know, I think Brian Bayo should kind of be your top of the rotation guy if we think about this team pitching-wise next year. You know, and then the question is, how do you best surround him with quality talent? You know, does James Paxton return? Remains to be seen. You know, I think Garrett Whitlock, can he stay healthy? You know, Chris Sale, how much can you rely on him? You know, I think it's great to see the games that he pitches well, but I think the Red Sox need to stop treating him like he's a top-of-the-rotation pitcher um, and treat him more kind of like a number three or a number four because I think when you have him, as he is right now, as basically your number two, it's hard to rely on him. And so I think getting a really stable, consistent number two pitcher really should be the Red Sox priority because I think Bayo's the guy 
that should lead the rotation. And so I think getting a solid number two so that Chris Sale doesn't need to have all this pressure, you know, I think it will be the last year of his contract in Boston next year, which I think will probably be it. I don't think he returns after that. Um, but I think the Red Sox have a lot of opportunity here to really kind of remake their pitching rotation. Um, because you looked at their bullpen, it was really good this year. You know, they have lost, I think they, they have some crazy record where they've lost like one or two games when they've led after six innings. And it's just, that tells you that, that it's been a really good rotation or a really good bullpen. You know, the rotation has had its issues with guys staying healthy with the openers and whatnot, but I think, you know, you need to have more consistency. And I think that's what you want to expect. That's what you hope with this team this offseason, that they can acquire some more talent. Just be a smarter baseball team, for crying out loud. It seems like every single game, the Red Sox are just doing something stupid, you know, or kicking the ball around and, you know, committing errors. But I think, you know, something needs to happen with Devers this offseason because his defense has been terrible. Um, the Red Sox need to figure out what they're doing with Alex Verdugo. I think, me personally, I don't want him on the team anymore because I think he kind of, the, the, the good moments this year for him have kind of been few and far between. I think ever since he really fell off after that solid first half of the season. Um, you know, what do you do with Justin Turner? Do you have him come back? You know, Adam Duvall, what's the, the deal with him? Does he come back? Because I think as much as he's missed a lot of games this year, he has 19 home runs in 74 games. That's pretty good. Like, that's some pretty good power numbers. So, you know, I think it's just a lot to think about uh, for this team. You know, Yoshida, good to see him hit a home run yesterday. You know that he's been struggling since the All-Star break. You know, it's kind of understandable. This is a guy going through his first Major League Baseball season, but still hitting around 300. So I think it'll just be good to see how this team how individual guys can do for this team the rest of the season, um, because I think that's really what you're playing for right now, uh, being pretty much out of the wild card chase. You know, it's baseball. Insane things happen. You know, teams can rip off 20 straight wins. We've seen that before. I don't think that this is a Red Sox team that's going to do it, but, you know, five and a half games to go with 25 to go, or five and a half games back with 25 to go. We'll see. You know, we'll see how they do against some of these division teams, Tampa Bay and Baltimore in particular, they face uh, next. They're in Tampa Bay this weekend, starting this afternoon. Or they're in Tampa Bay right now, starting this afternoon for a three-game set, and then they will come home to play the Orioles this weekend at Fenway. So it's all the division teams for the next couple of weeks. Red Sox will play Texas and Chicago, then we'll close the season with Tampa Bay, and then finish the season in Baltimore. So that's what you're looking forward to for the last half of the season. I think here's hoping the Red Sox can finish over 500, finish ahead of the Yankees, so that at least they're not the basement of the division. So, you know, kind of just hope that it's good enough that they can finish the regular season on somewhat of a high note. You know, if they have 25 games to go, if they could win 14 or 15, I think a lot of people will be pretty pleased. So, you know, I think 
again, there's not a whole lot to talk about with this team. I think being pretty much out of it with a month to go. But, you know, if you're enough of a big baseball fan and you want to pay attention to how certain guys play the rest of the season, you know, Brian Bayo, Tristan Casas, Trevor Story, you know, Rafaela, any other guys that come up from Worcester, um, you know, that should be worth paying attention to because they may or may not be playing big roles for this team next year, depending on uh, what the Red Sox decide in the offseason. So, again, Red Sox in Tampa Bay for a three-game set. Brian Bayo goes this afternoon in Tampa Bay. Red Sox are 1-7 and seven against the Rays this season, so hopefully they try to improve upon that. So I think it's going to do it. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the revolution. Revs had a couple games uh, this week, a one nothing win um, at home against the New York Red Bulls. Shakam Ovrioni scoring in the first half. Revs hanging on for a one nothing win. And then the Revs tying with Austin FC this weekend, 2-2. Austin FC with a game-tying goal at the death uh, to even the score 2-2. I think the interesting thing about the Revs uh, for the last two games is you've seen more contributions from, you know, not the typical guys. You know, I think that Carlos Hill is always going to be the guy that's involved in almost everything this team does, but it was good to see, um, you know, Ian Harks getting involved, Nacho Hill, Carlos's brother getting involved um, with a couple of assists. Um, and Tomas Chancolet, the uh, new, a new, newer-ish player for the Revolution that has gotten into a couple matches, uh, scoring his first two goals with the Revolution was really good in this game against Atlanta. So, some kind of your not typical, not the typical suspects uh, involved in some of the scoring. So that was good to see. You know, I think the Revs as many attacking guys that you can get into a rhythm. You know, the good. The, the, the better, you know, the better it is for the team. You know, I think with eight games to go before the playoffs, it's, you know, trying to figure out what your best lineup can be. But, you know, I think making sure guys are playing at their best. And I think Vrioni looks so much more comfortable um, than he did, I think, at any point playing for the Revs. And I think, you know, getting him a goal, you know, I think that, Guys like that, they're not going to score every single game, but if they're making enough of an impact, it really helps your team. And I think, you know, having consistent attacking guys, consistently putting the ball in the net, takes pressure off your defense. And I think, you know, this is a team that's going through a lot of changes in terms of the goaltending. You know, Petrovic goes over to Chelsea. Revolution have had Earl Edwards in goal the last couple of games. Uh, Tomas Vaslik. Uh, will come over and play, I think, soon. I don't know how soon he comes in. He'll be kind of their new goaltender. But I think the Revs are keeping it together with the different player movement, you know, with all the uncertainty with Bruce Arena that we still don't know anything about, which is really unfortunate. I wish that Major League Soccer would, you know, figure it out. You know, it's just really there's no answers. And so it's like, this is a refs team that's playing with a lot of uncertainty, but they think that they're responding with results. You know, it was a tough loss against Montreal um, after the League's Cup, but the Revs have responded with points in their last two games. You know, obviously a win and a tie. 
obviously sucks to, you know, have a game end in a tie when you give up the tying goal in the last minute. But, you know, they keep the home unbeaten streak alive. The Revs will travel to Minnesota um, Saturday night to take on Minnesota United. Revs will be on the road, actually, for the next three against Colorado September 16th and then Chicago on September 23rd. So the Revs will be away from home for the next three. Uh, Revs actually only have three home games. The rest of the season, regular season, ends on October 21st. But the Revs, you know, still in pretty good shape. Second place in the East, although things are getting a little interesting in the Eastern Conference with both Orlando and Philadelphia, right behind the Revs. Uh, Columbus not too far behind either uh, with Atlanta there as well. So this is a Revs team that's, you know, continuing to play well. Still 10 points behind FC Cincinnati, but, you know, I think this should be a playoff team, and they think, you know, getting themselves ready for, you know, these final eight games, getting guys back healthy, getting Gustavo Bo ready and healthy to play, but I think giving opportunities for some of these newer guys, you know, that are still kind of working their way into the lineup. So things to be excited about uh, for this Revolution team. So a couple of road games, we'll see how they do away. Not nearly as good on the road as they are at home. I could find these uh, expanded standings. I was curious about what their uh, road record was. But anyway, they are uh, unbeaten at home, so we'll see how they do on the road for the next three. They are in... Let's take a quick look at where the teams are that they're playing. Um, so Atlanta, or excuse me, Minnesota, uh, seventh place in the West. That's who the Revs will face next, and then they will play Colorado. Worst team in the West, and then the Revs will play Chicago uh, below the playoffs Playoffs in the, in the East. So, you know, hopefully the Revs can take care of business on the road. Probably will be more challenging to win on the road, as it always is, but it... Uh, should not be games that are terribly difficult. You know, Chicago is almost always a tough game, but we'll see how the Revs do in Minnesota and Colorado. So I think we're going to move on. There's not any real uh, official, like, Bruin stuff that has come out, but there was something that I did want to uh, discuss that I um, was listening to the Sports Hub Underground with Ty Anderson and Matt Dahl. If you should definitely listen to that podcast if you enjoyed this one. Um, and they were talking at length about uh, the Bruins and their top lines specifically. You know, who's going to play in what spot. And I also had some other kind of displaced thoughts about Milan Lucic. So first off, I think that there was a conversation between uh, Jim Montgomery and Steve, Steve Conroy from uh, the Boston Herald about the lines and how it's going to shake out. And so it seems like the feeling is Charlie Coyle uh, will get um, first crack at being the top center for the Bruins between Brad Marchand and uh, Jake DeBrusque. So, and then I think having uh, Van Riemsdyk playing 
to the left of Zaka and Pasternak. So, you know, look, it's not ideal, I think, for the Bruins. I think ideally the Bruins would have liked Charlie Coyle to be in his, you know, typical third-line center spot because I think that that's, you know, where he's most effective. But, you know, I think in the small sample size you saw in the playoffs with Coyle, Marsh, and DeBrusque, it seemed to work well with, you know, Marsh or uh, Coyle and Marsh, and I think working well as a duo and DeBrusque kind of being that other, you know, quicker winger guy who can score goals, guy who's kind of going to be that guy that's going to get a lot of opportunities. So I like it because I think Coyle and Marchand are both responsible enough defensively. You know, DeBrusque can kind of be the guy that takes chances, and I think he'll get a lot of opportunities. I think he'll score a lot of goals this season, um, and I think we'll be in line for a contract uh, extension and will likely keep him here for the uh, foreseeable future. Um, and then I think with Van Riemsdyk, with Zaka and Pasternak, I think he's going to get a lot of good looks. Um, and I think he'll get good looks in the power play, which is an area that he's excelled throughout his career. So I don't think Van Riemsdyk's going to like put up crazy numbers. Um, but I think he's going to be a pleasant surprise with you know, the power play goals that he could put in. Kind of curious about how that's going to work five on five. Um, but I hope you know the Bruins have a good plan. Uh, so if that top six is somewhat set, then I think it would be interesting to see how the other guys fit in. You know, I think almost certainly uh, Gigi and uh, Trent Frederick will be on that third line. Interesting to see who that other you know winger is. And then in my opinion, I think really all of those fourth line spots are open. You know, I think Lucic probably gets one of them, but it's open for... You know, any of the guys, Patrick Brown, Patrick Brown, Jesper Boquist, who they brought in in the offseason, Chayasan, you know, should he be a guy that performs in training camp? You know, A.J. Greer will be another name to watch. You know, any of the young guys, Merkulov, Mark McLaughlin, Johnny Beecher. You know, I think any of those guys could be uh, Oscar Steen, you know, could be in play for one those fourth-line spots now. I think, you know, fair or not, I think Milan Lucic is a pretty polarizing player at the moment for the Bruins because I think that there are a lot of people, including myself, that really liked the addition of him. But then I think there are some people that are, you know, loudly opposed to his uh, addition to the team. But I think, you know, for this addition, I think it's more of an off-the-ice addition than, you know, a guy that you're adding for, you know, on-ice production. You know, I think Luch is a guy that's been around, he's been around multiple different teams, but has been here in Boston, had been in here in Boston for a really long time, was an iconic player, won a Stanley Cup, and I think, you know, knows what it's like to be a pro in the city of Boston and just be a pro in the NHL. And so I think having him on the roster helps out some of those younger guys that might be looking to make a name for themselves as, you know, kind of a sounding board, a guy that can be there for some of the young guys that are working through, you know, trying to make it in Boston, trying to make it in the NHL. So, you know, I think that's part of the reason why he's here. I think the other part of it, the Bruins, you know, lost a lot of leadership this offseason. You know, Nick Foligno gets traded. You know, Foligno and Hall get traded. 
Bergeron and Krejci retire, you know, I think there's a void, you know, and I think that the Bruins have always had strong leadership. That's always been, you know, one of the great things about this team over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, whatever you want to say. But, you know, I think obviously you're going to have your Marshans, your Coils, your, you know, McAvoy's, your Lindholms and Carlos, but I think you're going to want to have some good leadership from some other guys. And I think Lucic is a perfect example, guy that's been a leader here before. And so I think having him there in that locker room is really going to make things a lot easier for a team that I think is in a lot of transition. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, I think, is also another guy that could, you know, kind of help some of those younger defensemen as he's a guy that's 34, has been around in the league. Um, so I think I think it will be a competitive training camp, which I think will be exciting. I think really be an opportunity for some certain guys to, to grab roster spots and just, you know, get an opportunity to play. So um, I do think this team will happen to be pretty solid with, you know, the goaltending and the defense being pretty much unchanged from last year. So I still think they will be a playoff team. I think just based on the strength of that, but I think, you know, offensively, you know, you're going to have your guys that are going to score. But then it's like, how do your other guys do? How does Geeky do? How does Frederick do? You know, how does he do after a people maybe think that that's a career season for him last year? Does he improve off that? I think that that would be a really big jump that the Bruins would hope to see. But, you know, I think you just hope for solid play. Morgan Geeky is a guy that Really have no idea how he's going to do, but I do have a feeling that he might have kind of a Riley Nash type impact with the Bruins where, okay, you put him in kind of more of a featured role and he responds, you know, and scores 40 points. So excited to see what he can do. But I think it's probably going to be it for the Bruins until training camp starts. Um, you know, any other moves the Bruins have, I know that they'll be unveiling uh, some jerseys in the next couple of weeks. So we'll certainly be uh, talking about that. Um, so I think we're going to move on. Celtics made some news uh, this past week, signing Svi Mikhailuk from a free agency. He has played for uh, six teams in his NBA career, including with the Knicks and the Hornets last season. A uh, 6-7 guard from Ukraine. You may remember him from Kansas. Um, he played and is a very good shooter on those Kansas teams. Um, hit 42% of his threes um, this past season is a good shooter. Don't really know too much about him other than that, but I do know that Brian Scalabrini has talked highly of him when the Celtics have played against him. So we'll see what he can do. You know, I think kind of a end-of-the-bench guy that you're not expecting is going to do a whole lot. You know, I think with... You know, the Celtics rotation being pretty much set. But I think never hurts to have another guy who can shoot. So the Celtics roster currently sits at 14. Um, they can add one more player. Could it be Blake Griffin? You know, we'll see with uh, training camp about a month away. Um, J.D. Davison, Jay Scrub will be on those two uh, two-way deals. So has the uh, roster of the total of 16 players. I think you're allowed to bring up to 20 to training camp. So wouldn't be surprised if there's news that comes out in the next couple of weeks 
of the Celtics signing guys to kind of training camp contracts to see what they can do. But I think it's not really going to be anyone major. You know, I think if it's anyone major, they bring in the rest of the offseason. It's probably going to be Blake Griffin. But other than that, I don't think it would be anyone else. But we certainly will see. So, yeah, it's really it for, for the Celtics news. Um, so I think we're going to get into some NFL talk as week one will start Thursday night, obviously, with Detroit and Kansas City. Some other notes uh, from around the league. The Cowboys coming to coming to terms with their right tackle, Terrence Steele, on a new contract. Uh, Jamal Adams been ruled out for the first game for the uh, Seahawks. And uh, Chris Jones for the Chiefs. Um, still holding out, so good possibility that he is unavailable for the Chiefs opener against the Lions. I still think the Chiefs win this game, but again, I think Detroit, kind of like the Patriots, probably not given any chance to win in this game. I think they do pretty well, but I do think the Chiefs end up winning. Um, I don't really want to go in-depth on every single game, because we'll probably be here for a few hours, but um, I do like the Chiefs on Thursday night, and then some of the other uh, games on Sunday, the early window at 1 o'clock, the uh, Texans and the Ravens play one of the 1 o'clock games, and then some of the other ones, Carolina and Atlanta, Cincinnati and Cleveland, Jacksonville and Indianapolis, Tampa Bay and Minnesota, Tennessee and New Orleans, San Francisco and Pittsburgh, in Arizona and Washington, a bunch of games in the one o'clock window. And then in the 425, later afternoon, Patriots and Eagles, obviously, uh, Packers and Bears, Raiders and Broncos, Dolphins and Chargers, Rams and Seahawks. And then the Sunday night game, Dallas against the Giants. And then Monday night football, it's uh, Aaron Rodgers' debut with the Jets as they will host the Bills. So a couple of really interesting uh, kind of high-profile games this first week. Patriots and Eagles, I think, probably the headliner um, on Sunday afternoon, and then Dallas and New York in the nightcap, and then Monday Night Football, Buffalo, New York. So looking forward to all these games. Um, week one's wacky. I'll tell you that much there. Uh, you can be sure there are going to be multiple games uh, where there are upsets or there are teams that you don't expect to win that end up winning. It's always how week one works, it seems like it. And that includes the Eagles and Patriots. I think the Patriots could pull an upset. I think it's possible. I think it's any given Sunday, you know, as they say. Anything can happen, and I think that goes, you know, even more for uh, the first week of the season. So, uh, again, NBC Thursday night. Lions and Chiefs kicks off the NFL season, um, and then Patriots and Eagles 425 on CBS on Sunday. So I think we're going to talk about some Major League Baseball. Um, Pete Alonzo last night, for the, or yesterday for the Mets, hit his 40th and 41st home run of the season. And so we'll take a look at some standings with about roughly 25 games to go uh, for most teams. 
the American League East, the Orioles in front, a two and a half game lead over the Rays. So they're the only teams really kind of in that chase for the division title. The Twins with a five game lead over the Guardians for first place in the Central. Ironically, they still have the same record as the Red Sox. So that's just always funny to see. Uh, the Mariners in first place in the West, but just a single game ahead of both Texas and Houston. In the National League, the Braves uh, destroying everyone. Uh, they have a 15-game lead over the Phillies for second place, so they will certainly be winning the division sometime soon. Uh, the Brewers with a three-and-a-half game lead over the Cubs in the Central, and then the Dodgers uh, blowing past the Giants and the Diamondbacks as both of those teams are 14 and a half back of the Dodgers for first place in the West. The wild card standings, here's where it gets wild, especially in the National League. So look at the AL East, the American League first, Tampa Bay, Texas, and Houston in those wild card positions with Toronto a game and a half back and the Red Sox five and a half back. In the National League, here's where things get insane. Uh, Phillies and the Cubs have the first two wildcard spots, and then you have four teams that are currently tied for the final playoff spot, the Marlins, the Giants, the Diamondbacks, and the Cincinnati Reds. So the last month of the season is going to be insane uh, for some of these teams. So we'll see who comes out on top, but it will be pretty crazy. So I think we'll move on. Some NHL notes here. <clears throat> the... Uh, TV schedule has come out for the NHL this season, so we'll take a look at that in a moment. Sheldon Keefe signing a new deal to stay with the Maple Leafs as their head coach. Carl Hagelin retiring from the NHL after 11 seasons, played primarily with the Penguins and the Capitals. And the NHL announced last week that they're con uh, considering an international tournament in the next couple of years and then planning on going to the Winter Olympics in 2026. So we'll take a look at some of these national TV broadcasts. Obviously, the uh, opening night slate, we'll see uh, Tampa Bay, or we'll see Nashville at Tampa Bay on ESPN, and then Vegas and Seattle, uh, the defending champs, Vegas, taking on Seattle also on ESPN, and then Oh, okay, so that's ESPN's opening slate, uh, the okay. This is kind of confusing for me. Just give me a second. Oh, I see, I see. So yes, those first two games that I mentioned will be on ESPN, um, and then the kind of the the prime time game at eight o'clock. Um, will be Sidney Crosby, Eric Carlson, and the Penguins against Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks, 8 o'clock. Um, so all three of those games, as I mentioned, will be the opening night on October 10th. Those all, all three of those games will be ESPN, and then TNT will get the next night, which will include the Bruins and the Blackhawks, Bruins home opener on TNT, with the Kings and Avalanche being that uh, nightcap at 10.30. So some other schedule highlights here. 
Thanksgiving showdown. We'll have a couple of games on uh, Black Friday with the Sabres playing the Penguins and the Wild playing the Avalanche, both games on TNT. And then the Winter Classic will be at T-Mobile Stadium in Seattle between the Kraken and the Golden Knights. And then the NHL All-Star Skills and All-Star Game, February 2nd and February 3rd in Toronto. And then the Stadium Series will be a two-day event in February of 2024 with first the Devils playing the Flyers and then the Rangers playing the Islanders on February 17th. Devils and Flyers, February 18th, Rangers and Islanders. So just some highlights for you there. Bruins will be on national TV quite a bit with a couple games on ESPN and TNT, obviously TNT getting the opening night game. So no season opener on Nesson. So that's certainly going to be kind of different uh, for this Bruins team. So we'll get to some NBA notes. The uh, FIBA World Cup continues to go on Team USA, uh, losing to Lithuania yesterday, but will play um, in the quarterfinals against Italy tomorrow morning at 8.30. Team USA with losses from other teams clinched a spot in the 2024 Olympics. <clears throat> JaVale McGee getting added to the Kings on a one-year deal. Um, and the NBA launched an investigation into Eric Lewis, a former referee who is now retired. Um, and the investigation, I guess, is now over with him being retired. So, uh, again, Team USA will play Italy tomorrow morning at 8.30 on ESPN2 for the FIBA World Cup. So we'll take a look at just some college football scores from this week. All the uh, ranked teams won their games except for TCU dropping their opener to Colorado and Deion Sanders. So Colorado wins 45-42. That was a pretty exciting game. Um, and then last night you had LSU and Florida State, and Florida State destroying LSU in the second half. They win 45-24. to Florida, Florida State was ranked 8th, was ranked, was ranked 8th. Coming into this game, LSU fifth, so Florida State with the uh, opening win. There is a game tonight, eighth-ranked Clemson, ninth-ranked Clemson against Duke, and then that will be the final game of week one of the college football season. So to close this out, as you may have noticed the last couple episodes, uh, we've done little segments at the end. Um, so today's segment is a happy birthday wish to uh, Dean Pease, who is a former uh, Patriots defensive coach, was the linebackers coach in 2004, or linebackers coach for two seasons, 2004 and 2005, winning, or part of the staff that won Super Bowl 39. Uh, so he was the linebackers coach for two seasons and then became the Patriots defensive coordinator uh, for three seasons from 2006 to 2009. So happy birthday, Dean. He is 74 today and is currently, is he currently coaching? No, he uh, recently retired uh, in January of this year after he was the uh, defensive coordinator for the Falcons for uh, 2021 and 2022. 
So he has uh, announced his retirement is a uh, two-time Super Bowl champion, once with the Patriots in Super Bowl 39 and then winning with the Ravens in uh, 2012 in Super Bowl 47. So happy birthday, Dean, and enjoy your retirement. So I think that's going to be it for me this week. Uh, make sure to submit your questions uh, for Patriots Mailbag. We'll be answering those Friday morning, getting that out to you guys on Friday. Get you ready for the Patriots Eagles opener. So believe it or not, football season is uh, is finally here. I'm excited. I'm sure all of you are excited. Um, go Patriots. Hopefully they have a good uh, game this week against the Eagles. So that will do it. Enjoy the rest of your week. And we will talk to you on Friday.